Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Morning, everybody. Okay, just make just okay, just making sure. I know it's Baltimore. I understand that. Just making sure you. You're good. Uh, I haven't had a chance to meet all of you, uh, just introduce myself to you, so I'll kind of do it at once. My name is Phil Nauer, and I have the privilege of serving as Echo's lead pastor. I've been a pastor for, uh, this is my 26th year of being a pastor. My wife and I have been married for 25 years, and uh, together we have uh, two boys. We have uh, a 12-year-old and a 7-year-old, and um, these last 12 years of our life, it's been our privilege to live here and make our home right here in Baltimore County, and serve with you, and we hope this is where the Lord has us for the rest of our ministry lives. We just love it here and are thankful to be able to be part of what God's doing here through Echo and through your lives. Um, Today's Friends and Family Day. It's not just like two times a year that friends and family are welcome and we keep you at arm's length the rest of the year, but it's a day that um, we invite, uh, we prayerfully consider two people from our faith community to invite to just share their true story of of their journey with Jesus. We don't um, vet people's testimonies. In fact, um, most of the time, I don't even know the whole story, but we just trust that God puts people on our heart, and we ask them, and you can opt out. Listen, if Pastor Phil ever you know, emails you or calls you and says, think about sharing, and that's just not your thing, that's okay. You can tell me no, and people do, and people have, and that's okay, but... Um, we believe, and, and it's very clear to me after our 9 a.m. service, that you know the, the two people God imagined from the foundation of the world to be our guest speakers today are the right two people for today. And so I'm excited for you to be able to hear from them in just a moment. I do just want to bring one uh, an, an update that I'm really excited about to share with you, just some progress we're making. All throughout January, we shared with you our vision uh, for Echo to branch out in 2024 using the idea of how God shows us in the Bible we can be like a healthy tree, you know, that we have strong roots that produce a strong vine, and now we want to branch out wide to invite people from outside God's kingdom to come into God's kingdom, and we believe a specific strategy God's given us is to reach out to a specific population in our community who have kids with special needs, and so we're putting some things, we're taking some initiative to launch some some ministry and some programming, some events this year to better serve that population. We've given you three things to think about. One is uh, learning about what it would be, what it would look like for you to be a buddy to an e-kid student with special needs on a Sunday morning at 11. So serving... Um, just bringing one-on-one leadership to a student that has an identified special need, a physical need, learning need, a behavioral need. And so far, almost 20 of you have signed up for that. So I am like blown away. Normally, the hardest thing for churches to recruit is people to work with kids. And we have to be careful because not everybody should work with kids at the end of the day. Um, but we'll help with that. But I was just so thrilled because that grabbed your heart. We also, uh, Friday, April 19th from 6 to 9, we will be launching our very first of what we hope to be um, Eventually, we hope to be quarterly, we're going to try two of these this year, um, respite care nights on Friday night so families who have students with special needs can drop off their kids and their siblings um, 
here at the church from six to nine, and we'll provide, you know, we'll provide an evening of just activities and spending time with their kids so mom and dad can have a break, or mom can have a break, dad can have a break, grandma, grandpa, whoever brings their kids. Um, we'll give them opportunity to register in advance so we know who's coming and what the needs are, and then we'll staff that evening. More than 30 of you have jumped in to help serve with that, and some of you have jumped in to help lead or can help me design Apparently, our church is well-resourced with people who are trained in special education and occupational therapy and people who have all these gifts in education who are like, we can help design the evening. I'm like, good, that was not part of my seminary training, um, but I, you can run with it. Let's run with it together. And then the last opportunity is we currently don't have early childhood ministry at our 9 o'clock service, and we know that there's families in our community that would be able to participate in church if we had that available, and so we put out the call for that, and we have a little bit less than just shy of 10 volunteers, 10 new volunteers coming on board with that. So thank you for your response. This is the last morning that I'll take time in the service to talk about this, although we will be ongoing, you know, bring you updates and enlisting people to serve in this capacity. But if you're interested in learning more, you can scan the QR code, click on the, the little link that it gives you, and you can send your interest to us that way. If you prefer just writing it on a piece of paper, we have those exact forms available for you on your way out today. You can fill those out, drop them off in the collection box, and I'll follow up with you this week and get you, uh, get you more information and show you the onboarding process, the background checks, the interviews and stuff that we do um, before that anybody can work with kids. Because there's a process because we want to make sure that ministry is safe for kids. And so there are some extra steps, um, but we'll walk you through those together. All right. Uh, Friend and Family Day, we have two guest speakers today. And our first speaker this morning is Megan Jones. Megan, will you come and join us? This is Megan. I have known Megan for, I, I, I'm not sure exactly, probably almost 10 years. I've been here 12, and I think you've been here almost since the beginning. And when I first met you, I, met, I knew you as, as a daughter, and then I got to know you as, as a wife, and now as a mom to your beautiful kids. And um, I knew bits and pieces of your story that you shared with me along the way. Um, and when it came time to plan for this year's friend day, um, your name popped into my heart. I know we've heard from your mom and from your stepdad, we've heard their stories, but your name popped in my heart. And I reached out to Pastor James because I know, um, you serve in leadership close to, close to his ministry. And I said, what do you think about me? He didn't even hesitate a millisecond. He said, oh, absolutely. Like she has a powerful story. And so I am still growing and chewing on your testimony from the 9 a.m. service. And I just want to prepare you this morning. This is just open up your heart and hear about the true unrelenting grace of Jesus through Megan's life today. Will you just welcome her as she comes to share this morning? Thank you, Megan. Right. Hi, I'm Megan. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give a just a trigger warning in the beginning, like a disclaimer. Um, my story is going to include sexual abuse, eating disorders, substance abuse, and suicide. So if any of those things are triggering to you, you can like walk out. I'm not going to be offended. Um, okay, so hi, I'm Megan. I was, born in, <laughs> I was born in Orlando, Florida. My parents divorced when I was three. I don't remember us being all together, but I had a big brother that was always with me, no matter the weekend or the holiday. He was my constant. Soon after my parents divorced, I began to be sexually abused by my mom's boyfriend. He had mental health problems, and I was treated nicely compared to how he treated my mom and my brother. I was groomed. I was never threatened, but I never told anyone. I felt inherently dirty and deserving of the abuse, with extra shame because I liked the special attention. This was the beginning of my lifelong battle with shame, self-hatred, and self-destruction. 
My mom remarried a different man, and we moved to Maryland when I was 11. It was hard being away from my dad, my family, and friends, but I still had my big brother until I was 12 when he graduated and moved back to Florida for college. That's when my life really began to fall apart. My brother had been my rock. Very quickly, I fell in with a bad crowd. I began skipping school, smoking weed, taking pills, looking for validation from boys. Putting myself in bad situations without regard became a pattern for my life, which is common and perhaps part of the reason for re-victimization statistics. My first kiss, one of the few experiences I still had to offer someone, was taken, not given, by a much older boy that I didn't even like. Later that year, at 13, I developed an eating disorder. When I was 14, my stepdad was diagnosed with stage 4 kidney cancer, and that was also the time when I became friends with a certain classmate. Um, this kid was so different from anyone I had ever met. Like, I thought he was a little weird, to be honest, but he was intriguing. He treated me with respect, even though I didn't act in a manner that deserved it. He didn't cuss or gossip or do the other things I was used to kids doing. I began sharing things with him, and I felt like he genuinely cared. I couldn't figure out why, because I bought nothing to the friendship. I was just a mess. After a few months, I said to him, I feel like you know everything about me, and I don't know you at all. And he said, well, that's because you don't know Jesus. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was raised Catholic, and I believe there was some kind of God. <clears throat> I was always interested in religions and the supernatural, but fair enough, I definitely didn't think I knew Jesus. But I was drawn to something about him, and he told me that it was actually someone, and that that someone was Jesus. So my friend told me about this Jesus who loves me and died for me and wanted to have a relationship with me. I recited the sinner's prayer out loud, but what I really said in my heart was, God, you can have me as long as you'll heal my stepdad of cancer. Not exactly a contrite prayer of repentance. And for the first while, my stepdad was getting better. I stopped using drugs, was reading the Bible, and was telling everyone about Jesus. But I was like the seed that fell on the rocky places and sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. I had no root. Soon my stepdad's numbers got worse, and it was clear that he was going to die. I was furious with God. How dare he? At this point, I knew that I knew that God was real. It's not that I stopped believing in him. I just started to hate him because I had never really known or loved him. I had tried to manipulate him, and now I was going to be vindictive. I felt betrayed by God, and I wanted to betray him in return. So I did the worst thing I could think of, and I made a blood pact with Satan. I read that Satan is the ruler of this world, and I had the misconception that Satan ruled hell. I figured if I willingly gave him my soul, that I would get what I wanted on earth and be rewarded instead of punished in hell. I began to study the occult and practice witchcraft. I knew that this would be a little hard to sell on people, so I just told everyone that I had been wrong about Jesus, and the church I was going to was actually been a cult. I dove hard back into drugs and everything sinful and sheer rebellion. I even started stealing my stepdad's pain pills as he sat two feet away, dying, doing hospice at home. Between the drugs and the occult, things got very dark for me. I started having either hallucinations or visions of demons. I was constantly tormented. My stepdad died, and I was losing my mind. I knew I had gone too far, but I didn't think there was any way back. I wanted Jesus to save me, but I had deliberately tried to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I wanted to die, but I knew that I had been duped, and I was scared of what would come next. I decided just to deal with the consequences and commit suicide. It was my third suicide attempt, so I had learned what doesn't work very well, and I was going to do it right this time. I was done. I was going to hell, and I deserved it. It was the night of my 16th birthday, as I stood there with my hands shaking. The presence of God overwhelmed me. 
I fell to my knees, cried the most burning hot tears, and I felt God say, I love you. You are forgiven. I hadn't even had the audacity to ask God to forgive me. I know how evil and wicked I was. I just sat there in the light and love of God, crying for what felt like hours. I couldn't believe that I was forgiven, and I wasn't really convinced that I was. But I told Jesus that I would spend my life telling people about him, even if I wasn't going to heaven, so that others could. And it was at this time that I felt called to mission work. God really began to change me. I truly was a new creation. It took some time for people to believe it, but I kept my eyes on God and immersed myself in his word. Before I got saved, I hated everyone and loved myself. And after I got saved, I loved everyone but hated myself. This might sound holy and humble, but it's not. It's sad to say, but it was after I got saved that my eating disorder began to worsen. I was more aware of ever than my, of my sinfulness. I knew it was only the grace of God that had saved me, but I didn't understand that it was that same grace of God that would cover my sins and my future sins. I became a perfectionist. I felt like God had already forgiven me of so much that I couldn't mess up again. I kept God out of my ugly and broken instead of inviting him in. I wanted so badly to be pure. I punished myself through starving or purging or both. The eating disorder strengthened in secrecy and thrived in shame. I went on my first mission trip to Kenya in 12th grade. After graduating high school, I spent a year between Europe and South America. I came back to the States for a few months, and then I left for a year in Africa. In Kenya, I worked with the churches and schools in the Kibera slum. I stayed with the Samburu in northern Kenya, sharing the gospel and educating against female genital mutilation. At the end of our time there, we did see many people get saved, but we also saw every single girl of age go through with the FGM, and the sound of their screams is still haunting. In Ethiopia, I worked with a ministry called the Mother Teresa House, where the poorest would go when they were dying. There was a language barrier, so I couldn't do much other than sit, hold hands, and pray, but what greater things are there to do? I also regularly visited leper colonies and fistula colonies, people who are still considered today unclean outcasts of society. The poverty and sickness was almost unimaginable. So when I was dealing with the trauma from what I was witnessing and what I had been through, I tried to just make myself toughen up. I tried to carry the burdens of the world on my shoulders for God instead of with God. I tried to use the eating disorder to purify myself, like Christ's sacrifice was insufficient. I would pray and weep and ask for deliverance and forgiveness, but I would never actually accept it. It was just another form of pride. Then came Egypt. I was warned not to go there by a pastor I respect. I had no contacts and no plans. The person I was supposed to meet there couldn't come. If I had used wisdom and discernment, I would not have gone. But I was young and prideful, and I wanted to see the pyramids, so I went. Everything went wrong. I compromised on the gospel. I was stalked. I couldn't stay in Cairo without this guy finding me, so I fled to Sinai because it felt like a holy thing to do. I decided at Sinai I would do a 40-day fast, which might also sound holy, but really was just a cover for my eating disorder. It was only a few days into the fast when I decided it was a good idea to have a beer. And that was the beginning of the alcoholism chapter of my life. <clears throat> After that one beer, I kept drinking until I was drunk. And I did the same thing the next day and the next. I was exhausted from trying to be perfect and from trying to carry the burdens of the world. I realized that alcohol took away the toxic shame and desire for perfection. What I didn't realize is that it also took away healthy shame and desire for holiness. I continued to put myself negligently in dangerous situations. I was robbed, assaulted, and raped. Things kept compounding, and I kept drinking. Things are a little hazy at this point. My mom threatened to come to Egypt and drag me home if I didn't get on a plane myself. And y'all know when my mom says something, she means it. 
So I ended up back in the States when I was 21. My mom had gotten remarried, and I was in our old house alone. I started having parties there on weekends. Then I was raped again. At this point, I just said, screw it. And I had a nonstop party at my house every day and every night. I couldn't face the things I had done, so I'd drink, and I'd make more bad choices. And I couldn't face those things, so I'd drink. And so this continued. I was constantly in a blackout, so I don't remember most of this year. But I was like a zombie, the living dead. The only time I took a break from drinking was when I would go off in secret to binge and purge. But I wasn't drinking because I hated God. I was drinking because I hated myself. And I loved God. I couldn't even look in the mirror. How could I look at the face of Jesus? I was trying to be saved through my love for God and my sacrifice for him instead of his love for me and his sacrifice for me. This season of life where I was drinking, using drugs, anorexic, and purging all at the same time was so dangerous. Everyone begged for me to get help. Parents even told, people even told my parents they should prepare for my death. My parents ended up going to a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, and through that they learned about boundaries and tough love. They would no longer see me if I was drinking. I was heartbroken. I love my family. It took many visits to the emergency room, rehabs, and sober living homes, but eventually I managed to get sober and my parents let me move back in with them. But it seemed I could stay sober if I had my eating disorder, or I could eat if I was drinking, but I could never do both at the same time. So for the next five years, I was mostly sober with a few isolated incidences of relapse, but the eating disorder was literally killing me. I spent more time in the hospital than out of it from age 22 to 27. I couldn't let go of that core belief that I was dirty, that I was impure, not because of what was done to me, but more so because of the things that I had done the things that I was responsible for, the things I had willingly, the things that I had willingly done after knowing Christ. I had dragged other people down with me. I wasn't a victim, I was a villain. I was literally starving for perfection, but much deeper than physical appearance. I was desperate to feel pure. I had equated food with human weakness and thus sin, and I couldn't stand to have anything in my stomach. At my lowest point, I was 62 pounds, and I had to purge even the juice and little wafer of communion. My organs were shutting down. I hated being trapped in a body. I loved Jesus, but I just wanted to die and be free. In 2016, I had managed to get to a healthy enough weight to do, uh, to do the outpatient program, so I was free on nights and weekends. Unfortunately, the pattern repeated itself, and I again relapsed with drinking. Per our agreements, I had to leave my parents' house, and I was homeless, living in my car. Like always, I fell hard, and I felt, I fell hard and fast, I fell fast and hard. I guess that doesn't matter. I fell fast and hard. <laughs> I moved in with a boyfriend that enabled me. That boyfriend was also a prodigal, and God had plans for us. In 2017, my boyfriend and future husband asked my stepdad for his blessing to marry me. And my stepdad was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> At the very minimum, he said, we needed to get sober first. So, for the last time ever, please God, I went through detox, and I've been sober since July 27th, 2017. Thanks. Um, the following year in 2018, for the last time ever, please God, I went through inpatient treatment for my eating disorder. Um, I wish I had a formula that I could tell people what to do on how to get free, on to stop picking up what you're laying down. But it was just the prayer of the saints and the faithfulness of God that delivered me after 15 years. One verse that always, 
that God always spoke to me was that God calls things that are not as though they already are. And so when I was in bondage, I knew that God had freedom for me. And even when it didn't feel like it, other people believed that for me. And if, if you're a prodigal, you can come home. If you have a prodigal, don't give up. So I still struggle with some stuff, but it isn't my master. Um, I didn't have to die to be set free. The sun has set me free. For a stranger looking at my life from the outside now, it might not seem that exciting, but this is life beyond my wildest dreams. God saved me from the gates of hell, the brink of death, and a life of insanity. I have an awesome husband that loves God and loves me. He's never seen me as anything other than precious, despite witnessing me be less than so when he was stuck in the friend zone for nine years. Now we've been married six years. I never deserved a faithful, godly husband and a happy marriage, but God is gracious. I was told I could never have children because of all of the damage the eating disorder had done to my body. They said I shouldn't be able to conceive, and if I did somehow, I wouldn't be able to carry to term because of the strains on my bones that have osteoporosis. But God is gracious. I have two kids, a daughter aptly named Grace, <laughs> and a son named Judah, which means praise. Yeah. <laughs> I'm far from perfect. Thankfully, I am not my savior. Jesus saved me when I was 16. He saved me over and over all these years, and Jesus keeps saving me every second of every day. I can rest in his grace and trust in his love. The irony of the struggles in my life is that they weren't because I didn't love God. They were because I did love him, but I couldn't accept his love for me. Whether I was at school, Africa, a party, a rehab, or a psych ward, I shared the gospel with people. I truly believed freedom and forgiveness was true for them, but not for me. I continued to run away from God in shame, and he continued to pursue me in love. I didn't feel worthy, and I'm not worthy. But through Jesus, he has called me worthy, and he has called me pure. My sin is not greater than God's grace. I do not get to define myself. For it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Thanks for letting me share. Yes, share it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like now I'm given the opportunity. I have. All right. So, <laughs> so the the person who shared their faith with me when I was in high school is Little Keith, and uh, his family was like pivotal in in our uh, in our salvation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the funny <laughs> the funny story is, can I tell them the story? All right. So the first time the first time I ever talked to him ever, I wrote him a note and I was like, "What are you doing?" because he was writing something down and he was like, "I'm writing down lyrics to a Michael Bolton song." And I was like, "Who is this kid and what is wrong with him?" Turns out it was Jesus. <laughs> he was a Michael Bolton fan. He was a Michael Bolton fan. Oh, I'm pretty fan. sure he still is a Michael Bolton. Are fan. you still a Michael Bolton? Really? Yeah. Wow. I don't know how we get the gospel out of Michael Bolton, but okay. Right. <laughs> right, Michael Bolton, let's Jesus. There you go. Maybe he does. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, I, my mind went a lot of places while you were sharing your story. And I remember the first service, I'm like, whenever she shared, there was this kid in my class, that, and she kept looking over here. And I'm like, I wonder if she's talking about somebody in the room. It's cool to know that our worship leader, even in high school, was reaching out to other students in his class and leading them. And the, how crazy that God brought that full circle. And now you're, you've follow his lead into worship today. That's really, really cool. Keith, thank you for 
when you were 15, <laughs> taking time for taking time to share your faith with a classmate. Um, I'm still sitting in the power of your story, Megan. I, you make Jesus so big. And I mean, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. You shouldn't be alive. <laughs> but God, you know, and uh, I'm so thankful he led you to Echo. We are the beneficiaries of your life and your story and your leadership. I have so much of an appreciation, Brad, for your life, for your kids, for those sweet moments of dedicating your kids here, and for your willingness to say yes and just share with us. Because no matter what the name of our sins and our hurts and our habits and our hangups are, there's a similar cycle we all go through. And secrets make us sick. And shame is real. And shame is debilitating. And we can get stuck there. And we come to a place where we recognize, I have done wrong and I deserve to be punished. And I just want to tell you something that Megan shared this morning. When you decide to take on the role of the punisher in your life, you, it doesn't work. Because the shame doesn't go away. We think that if I just get punished enough, I'll stop feeling bad. And that's a lie of the enemy. You will punish and punish and punish yourself. And it doesn't go away. But you can't accept salvation and keep your punishment. You can't. Because your punishment has already been handed out. And it's been put on Jesus. And so you're going to find it difficult to walk in a saving relationship with God and decide you still deserve to be punished because God is just. And he's not going to collect two payments when he's already collected one. And I'm thankful that, Megan, you're not only here, but you're growing and you're thriving. Thank you for reminding us that even after we get saved, there's ongoing work in all of our lives that goes on. And thank you for making it easier for us to be honest about our own walk because you've just created an environment where we can be open and transparent. We don't have to wear masks around here. We can be open and lean on each other to move forward. So, you know, there's so much, Megan, that I am processing through your story. And it's less about, oh my goodness, this girl's story. That is Jesus's story lived out in your life. And we overcome by the blood of the lamb, which is what Jesus has done, and the word of our testimony. And you just heard one. Good luck arguing with the authenticity of life transformation in Megan's life. Good luck. You will not be able to convince her that Jesus is not real and that he's not powerful because her life is evidence that he is. And so thank you for sharing that with us today. We have one more story for you to hear. Zach, will you come? This is Zach Carhart. And Zach's been, and I love this picture. That is the, you told me, the cinnamon, it, the actual name of it is the cinnamon roll as big as your head, right? As big as your head. And I and many of you have ended our 21 days of prayer and fasting this, today. Um, <laughs> I may or may not have gotten up at 3 a.m. and eaten an entire side of beef um, because I gave up meats, sweets, treats, and wheats. Um, and so it's just like, let me just get a cow and put it between some slices of wheat bread and we'll be good. To I, I didn't. I did get up at 3, but I didn't eat an entire side of beef yet. That's for later today. But um, Zach, uh, Zach is somebody that I do know. 
well. And yet I do know all of his story because your story's up to you to share. That's your story. Um, when Zach started uh, attending Echo about three years ago, we found out pretty quickly that we have a lot of shared interests and hobbies. And so um, over the last three years, we've logged thousands of miles on the road, you know, doing baseball stuff. And he's become like a big brother to my 12-year-old Chase because he's deep into it. So we've planned, we've got two road trips coming up this year uh, where we're going to spend some time together. I've just enjoyed God bringing a true brother and a true friend into my life and um, asked him to share his story, not even knowing what the whole story was. We don't vet the stories. We just trust that every believer has a story and we want to make it easier for you to share those stories. Um, and so we invited him last year at Friend Day to speak and it, it didn't work out in his schedule. He's like, put me down for the next one. So this was the next one. And now I know why God chose you to share with us today. So will you welcome Zach as he comes to share with us? Here you go, buddy. Hey, everyone. I'm just going to uh, pray before I speak, um, just to settle the nerves a little bit. Lord, I just, wow, your glory and goodness in pursuit of us, even through the depths of our sin, is so evident. And I'm blown away always when I hear Megan's testimony. And I just thank you, Lord, that it is a sign and evidence and just an encouragement that you don't give up on us. And so I pray as I share my story of your pursuit of your faithfulness, that people can see that same thing. Jesus name I pray. Amen. Well, hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Zach Carhart, and I've been coming to Echo uh, since the late summer of 2021. Um, I came to Echo, actually, at one of the most lowest points of my life. I came to Echo broken, tender, wounded, scarred, frustrated with church, desperate for healing due to many, many wounds, mostly self-inflicted that I had experienced in the last year before coming to ECHO. For the last couple of years, ECHO has been my place of refuge, a place to heal, a place to be cared for, a place to grow deeper in my relationship with Jesus. If I've talked with you or haven't met you, just know the ECHO family has been a vital role in my healing and redemptive journey with Jesus. The following is a story of God's grace, patience, love, and mercy that he has shown me in my journey of faith. My intention today is to shine a light and give a testimony of how God's grace has carried me through life. I would certainly not be the man that I am today without his daily loving care. So I have probably hundreds or thousands of stories that I could share about my life and I've been given a time limit, so I'll just keep it to a couple. Um, ever since that I can remember, I've had a rebellious and evil heart. Don't believe me? Let me give you a few examples. So in the kindergarten, I actually cut off some hair of a kid that I didn't like with a pair of scissors. In the second grade, I actually tried to tie someone's shoelaces to his chair so he would trip when he got up. Again, another kid that I didn't like. Um, in the seventh grade, I actually bullied and made fun of someone because of their weight. And since I was eight years old, I've been struggling with the sin in areas of lust, porn, and a variety of sexual issues. I appreciate God for giving me this opportunity to show that he has been guiding my rebellious heart faithfully 
as he sanctifies me and completes the work he has started in me. I was born the oldest of four children and grew up around Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, fun fact, Springfield is the birthplace of basketball, and it's where the uh, Hall of Fame is, so there's your fact for the day. Uh, ever since I could remember, I grew up in church. Actually, when I was like three years old, my home church was like building a new building, and, if, and there was a photo album of me just running around like boards, you know, unfinished rooms, no hard hat on because they didn't care. Um, and so that just shows that, you know, by the time I could run around, I was in church. Um, and really, I'm really thankful for my parents for um, their devotion to make sure of that. Around the age of five, I remember going out shopping with my parents and the topping of heaven and hell came up. We were in the freezer section, so I don't know how hell and, the, and being in the freezer section worked out, but um, God used that. Um, I know I asked a ton of questions when I got back home and then asked my parents how I could have Jesus come into my life, and um, they led me through the prayer, and um, I asked Jesus to come into my life. Around the age of eight, I was baptized and continued to go to Sunday school and attend the WANA program, which is a program for kindergarten through sixth graders every week. Um, throughout my youth and teenage years, I was reading the Bible, memorizing verses, and doing everything a good Christian should do. I was really good at Bible quizzing, sword drills, and knew all the answers to the questions I was asked in Sunday school. I'm pretty sure they have like a Carhartt rule back in my church is saying, oh, you can only um, answer three questions and you're, then you're done. So I was that good. Um, I attended youth group and made sure I read my Bible seven days a week because I wanted to keep up the good Christian look as I thought that's what I was supposed to do. However, looking back, I was living a double life. I was wearing a mask of a good moral kid while my heart was dark, shameful, embarrassed, and deceptive. Around the second grade, I was introduced to pornography. One of my friends showed me an adult magazine, and it was all downhill from there. From that point, porn started to poison my mind. I looked at it weekly as lust was birthed in me, and the concept of sex was twisted and distorted. I began to objectify women and create my own fantasy world. This practice continued for years upon years as layers of guilt and shame were crafting their way onto my heart. And all this time, I didn't want to share my struggle with anyone because I was embarrassed and didn't think anyone would understand. I didn't want to ruin my good Christian image of me or my family. The shame and, secre the shame and secrecy I encountered and exhibited started to affect my relationships with my Christian friends and family. Lies about my self-worth and identity started to infest my soul. A highlight of my faith journey happened when I was a senior in high school. Um, one of my youth leaders encouraged me to go to a, a retreat, and uh, I hadn't been able to go before because I was playing baseball usually, and this year I just... I was free, so I went, and I'm so glad I did. Um, towards the end of the week, they held an event. It was called Cry Night, and it's where they held a program. And I just remember there that there was a big cross down in the gymnasium floor, and uh, they asked us to like just drop our burdens there at the cross, and I did. And I, and I truly felt God's presence there for the first time in my life. 
Um, I remember after everyone was gone at the, the gymnasium and went on to their programming, I was one of the only one there just sitting and just reflecting upon what happened. And um, it was through that challenging experience um, that my faith became real. I then desired to be with God and to, to get to know him. Growing in a relationship with Jesus became something I desired to do instead of something that I was supposed to do. It turned from an exterior motivation to an interior desire. However, my double life followed me into college. Even though I was part of a college ministry um, doing FCA, I began to take my lust further. Uh, in college, uh, I, I experimented with unhealthy relationships. I engaged in inappropriate talk with fellow students. Um, and then due to me not pursuing my path of um, degree, I continued to use my, my lust as a way to cope with uh, that kind of disappointment. Um, I started to sleep around with other women, and, uh, but I knew this was wrong. However, um, I was carrying around all this guilt and shame that made me feel like I deserved this awful feeling. Um, even as I was going through that, however, God just continued to choose to use me, I guess. Um, I participated in college ministry, ministering to college students and telling them of this grace that I believed in and that I wanted them to believe in. However, I wasn't allowing that grace to impact my soul. I wasn't allowing that healing to happen in my life that I was giving them a chance to. However, by his grace alone, I came to realize that this behavior wasn't healthy, especially if I ever wanted to get married. So I began to pursue purity. In this time, I started to date and eventually became to my then wife. I thought my struggle with lust was over with as I was in a healthy relationship with a Christian woman. However, I was still wearing my mask and I brought my deceptive and lustful heart into my marriage. I got married, but turned a blind eye to my struggle. I would lie to my wife about the reality and depth of my lust. I underestimated it, as Pastor Phil mentioned last week, and its poison slowly worked its way in and eventually destroyed my marriage. In the fall of 2019, I was caught in a lie about interacting and communicating with a coworker. My ex and then pastor attempted to tell me this was dangerous. And with my mask still on, I agreed and said I would discontinue this behavior. However, I continued to communicate in a sinful and unhealthy way with this individual. In the summer of 2020 was the moment I hit rock bottom. My former wife caught me in my lie and exposed my secret. It was then I revealed all my dirty secrets and some of the most evil things I had ever done in my life. Shame and guilt covered me. They were my clothes. We separated that day. My world and closet full of secrets shattered into a million pieces. I didn't know who I was because I had worn so many masks for a long time and buried my secrets so deep. I wish I could tell you I repented right then and showed care, empathy, and attempted to build trust back. However, I was focused on how I got caught, wallowing in self-pity and shame, and didn't even think about how my sin and choices affected my wife at the time. We tried to reconcile, however, my heart was hard, and instead of taking responsibility for my actions, I passed the blame onto her and exhibited no empathy, grace, and began to develop an angry and bitter heart towards her. This, in my continuing struggles with lust, 
eventually led us to get officially divorced in 2022. I believe the following verse describes how I was feeling and the thoughts I was going through through that whole experience. Psalm 38, 4 through 8 says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. During our separation failed attempts at reconciliation, I was in a place where, let's just say, I was just in a big pile of mud to keep it PG and felt broken, dirty, and unloved. I didn't think God could love someone like me. I was in a dark place and continued to use my lust to try and numb all those feelings of self-hatred. Thankfully, God is faithful and didn't give up on me. Thankfully, God's mercies are new every morning. As Lamentations 3 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. At the beginning of uh, 2021, um, I was semi-forced, went to a uh, recovery intensive to help deal with my sexual issues. And um, this was a very pivotal time in my life. It was there that I discovered that, A, I wasn't alone in my struggle, that I could share what I struggled with and people didn't say harmful things to me. And most importantly, it was there that I rediscovered God's love for me and started to believe that he could love me again. This was certainly a foundational moment in my faith journey because I thought all hope was lost because of what I've done and the years wasted pursuing lust. I was reminded of uh, Romans 8.38 when I was writing this and it says, nothing can separate us from God's love. And that became a foundational verse in my life. A few months later, I found myself here at Echo, broken, lonely, and searching for hope through some very amazing people, uh, Wes Schaefer and Pastor James. Um, I was able to share my whole story with them for the first time ever. They were the first two people that I had shared everything with. I was able to start to build trust again and begin my healing process. And I'm thankful, as they say in the recovery circle, that um, they did not run out of the room with their hair on fire after I shared. <laughs> um, I felt supported, heard, and God began to help me build my trust with others. I started attending CR and starting to work on an honest recovery. I started to reveal my secrets and experience healing from my wounds. I started coming to Echo and began to soak in God's word again. Through God's generous grace and faithfulness, I've been able to heal from my past, work through my guilt and shame, begin to develop healthy and deep relationships, and be able to acknowledge and address my hurt and uncomfortable emotions. I've seen so much growth in my relationship with Christ, and the only way I can make sense of it is God's faithfulness. I asked myself in this journey, how can a broken man fix himself? I thought it was a goner. But I learned that it was only through God's grace that I have started this journey. I know I'm truly not the same person I was three years ago. I know I have a lot of areas to grow in. I know I still struggle and wrestle with sin. Yet my relationship is deeper and more intimate than it's ever been with God. Psalm 103, 1 through 5 says, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. 
Praise the Lord, my soul, forget all, not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, that's so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I wanted to end my testimony today with an encouragement and a challenge. Pornography is an evil and deceptive thing. It poisons the soul, and most evil is that it creates barriers to an authentic relationship with Jesus. Also, it's not just a man issue, but a people issue. There are statistics that prove that point. If this is something that you struggle with or something that you have that you're shameful of and don't want to tell people, I just want to encourage you to, to seek out a person to pray for someone that you can share that with because revealing that shame was one of the first steps in my recovery. If you don't have someone you can trust, ask God to show you. Another resource I want to give you is, is Celebrate Recovery. It's offered here at Echo. Tuesday nights at 7. <laughs> Being in Celebrate Recovery has truly transformed my life and has brought so much healing and growth. You are not alone in your struggle. Whatever you think is impossible, it's not impossible with God. Everything is possible for him. I hope my story can be evidence that there is hope and grace in the struggle especially. I am a sinner saved by the work of Jesus Christ. It is only by his grace, love, and faithfulness that I could share my story with you today. Thanks for letting me share. I just said to Zach, I was like, be thankful we're only having two services now. When we have three services, then you got to come up and do it again. <laughs> um, I don't, because I don't vet the stories, what it allows me to do is listen to these real stories in real time, right along with you. And... I come on friend day with my notebook, my ideating notebook, and I just sit and I write down things that speak to me, and then I just trust that God will help me in this moment right now. As we, as we now, as we get ready to close the service, we think about what do I do or how do I respond to what I just heard? And the reason why I know that God had his finger on who would share today is that in some respects, these two stories are very different, and yet they're nearly identical. Okay? You, know, you have one story of someone who says, I didn't have a strong church upbringing. I didn't grow up in church. had an understanding of Catholicism, but you know, I wasn't until I was 14 until I really started to even hear the good news about Jesus. And another one who says, I grew up in church. I had the hard hat. I knew the answers. You mentioned sword drills, which those of you who know, know if you don't, we don't, teach, we don't hand out swords um, to kids back there. We, we called the Bible a sword, and the leader would call out a reference, and whoever found it in their Bible first won. Um, some of you know about that. Others of you are like, oh, man, this is, I thought this was a cult, and now I'm sure it is. <laughs> you know, kids playing with swords. Um, but, you know, Zach's story is, hey, I grew up. I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't know about Jesus. And yet, 
as different as those two stories are, you know, common threads of after sin came guilt. And each of them, and let's be honest, both Megan and Zach have really good gifts about putting into words. They're both like pros at writing and public speaking. I had no idea. And I'm like, that was like, that's a master class on how you put together a testimony. Um, but both of them were able to share with us that there came a point where they both recognized they were doing stuff that was wrong. That I am doing wrong. That's guilt. Guilt is, I agree that I've been doing wrong. That's the verdict. But they both talked about one of the hidden price tags that comes along with sin. And that's shame. Whether you're a religious person or not, this is how it works. All over the world, every man, woman, boy and girl come to a point in their life where they are aware that they're not perfect. There's something wrong with them. And the rest of their life demonstrates what they're doing about that. How they're trying to deal with that guilt. And the goal is to not feel guilty anymore. To have the guilt removed. Because guilt is awful, but it has some healthy capacity to it that can draw us towards a savior. But guilt can quickly morph into shame. And what happens is it will impact, it impacts every relationship you have. It impacts your relationship to God. It impacts your relationship with yourself and how you think of you. And it absolutely impacts the way that you think of others. And what sin doesn't promise you on the front end is the guilt and the shame that will come along afterwards. It just simply says, this feels right to me. This seems to be pleasurable to me. Regardless of what, everybody, what anybody else thinks, I am the best one to determine what is healthy or unhealthy, right or wrong in my life. And I live that way. And what it doesn't tell you is that it's setting you up to be aware at some point that you're guilty. And everybody in the world agrees with this. There's nobody perfect, Right? We all, you know, nobody's perfect. Well, of course, that's an admission that we're all broken. No one argues with that. To be human is to err. But it's the shame we get stuck in. And the interesting thing is that shame can follow you whether you are a Christian or you're not. And you heard that. You heard that in both their stories. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you're automatically sin-proof, bulletproof, and that you're done growing forever. And I suppose the reason that God chose these two to share their testimonies today is because today He wanted us to shine a light on guilt and shame in all of our hearts, whether it's before you come to know Jesus or whether you've known Jesus for years and you still know you're living with guilt and shame. And we heard through Zach's testimony and Megan's testimony because they've done some hard work beyond just confessing these things to the Lord. They've spent time asking the Holy Spirit, usually through the ministry of other people, figuring out why do I keep returning to some of those things? And they're able to say, I struggled with this because of this. And so the Holy Spirit's helped to transform the way that they think, too, and heal that. And with both of them, 
I heard them both say it differently, but they both recognized some of my behavior that I was ashamed of and that it felt like it controlled me. I was returning to those things because I felt like I deserved some type of punishment for my sins. Like Zach said, it was my clothes. I felt like I deserved it. I felt like I deserved to feel like this because that's the punishment that I deserved. Like Megan would say, I loved God, but I hated myself. And so when I did these things, I did these things thinking that at some point, if I just punish myself enough, the guilt will stop and the shame will stop. And that's the lie that comes with that. I've heard people say before, you can't be more disappointed in me right now than I am in myself. You can't punish me worse than I'm already beating myself up for. But here's the message of the gospel. The gospel says, on the one hand, I am more wicked and flawed and capable of doing bad things than I really want to come to terms with. And simultaneously, I'm more loved and accepted than I could ever possibly imagine. But the gospel also says the gospel is about an exchange. I am exchanging my dirty, broken, sinful, unrighteous, irreparable life and the punishment it deserves. And I'm putting that on Jesus. And he is putting on me his righteous, pure, holy, redeemed resume and his life that I can't possibly earn or live. And what comes along with that is grace and mercy. And I see so many Christians who have yet to fully accept God's grace and you're still punishing yourself for your past sins and you're wondering why it doesn't work. It's because you're trying to pay off a debt that's already paid. It is because you're expecting God to continue to forgive you for something that's an open offense when he's closed the book on that. And you're stuck in this cycle that the enemy is convincing you that you need is to be ashamed and guilty. And so what he teaches you is that Christian living is really prison because you know just enough to feel bad enough but never to walk in freedom. Today's your day to get out of that. And you heard the roadmap. It's confession. Maybe not the confession in the religious sense that you heard. I'm not going to set up a chair out in the foyer and you're going to come to me and tell me all your stuff and then I'm going to tell you what you need to do to be really forgiven. Now, I'll be honest, some of that is really healthy. The idea that you can look into the eyes of another human being and they can listen to you with empathy and say you're going to be forgiven if you go and do these. Co-. There, there's a certain practicality to that that can be very healing. But what I want you to know is that you don't need a third party to get in between you and Jesus. You can just go to him. But I also want to be, I want to level with you about something else. Some of the sins that we struggle with gain such a foothold in our life that you've probably already done what I just did. You've gone to the Lord, you confess it. Please forgive me, help me never do it again. And in the back of your mind, you're like, but I'm going to go right back to it. The epistle of James gives us a next step. And you heard it through both of them. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Being forgiven and being healed are two different processes. 
I can go to God in the privacy of my own heart and say, Lord, please help me deal with my lust issues. Please help me with this addiction or with an ED or whatever that it is. Trust me, I've gone that route. 17, 18 years ago, I had to go into rehab. Okay? Because all that privately dealing with that stuff, I found forgiveness. There was no freedom. Well, why didn't you speak up? Probably the same reason why you don't. I was really worried about being ashamed of if I had to tell somebody else what was really in my heart. So here's the irony. I was stuck in shame because I wouldn't confess. And I was afraid to confess because of shame. And it was only when the pain of holding that secret was greater than the pain of confessing it that I finally found change. And yes, I had confessed it to the Lord, but I, and I found forgiveness, but I didn't have healing. And I didn't feel free because as long as you're keeping a secret, you have to practice a certain degree of deception to throw people off the trail, and that's draining. And that's not freedom. And I want to invite you out of that today. I don't want you to live that way. We have a culture here. We try our best we, to build a culture of the 12 years I've been here. We don't have to wear a mask at Echo. You don't have to pretend to be somebody that you're not. You don't have to throw everybody off the trail. But I want you to walk in freedom. Freedom doesn't mean you, you all of a sudden are perfect. It means that you don't have the weight on your shoulders, not only of the sin you're trying to be free from, but of all the effort you're taking to keep it a secret. It, it takes work. I just want you to retire that and find freedom today. I can't force that on you, but I can invite you to it. There's a couple quotes I wrote down and then I'll close. Maybe with a Michael Bolton song. Who knows? <laughs> I was thinking, how am I supposed to live without you would be a really good one. <laughs> You're all going to be on your Apple playlist today. Spotify wearing out Michael. The mullet Michael, not the new hit, like the mullet Michael, the covering Otis Redding sitting on the top of that. Oh, man, I guess I do know a lot of Michael Bolton stuff. Oh, I'm such a hypocrite. Megan said, and I'm paraphrasing what you said, but there's something today you said so powerfully. I tried to teach this in a sermon a couple months ago. I could never quite get the phrasing right, and then you knocked out of the park, so I wrote it down. Do you remember when Megan said, even if Jesus couldn't promise her heaven, she said, I'll still serve you. That is a very advanced understanding of a relationship, which is when you get to the point, it's not even about what you're giving me back. Whether you ever reward me for putting money in the offering, whether you ever reward me for going to Africa, whether I ever get back out of this, I'm not with you because of what you can give me. I'm with you because it's what you deserve as the king. Even if I can't get anything back out of this, I'll still talk about you to everybody. Like, wow. That was huge. You also said, Megan, my sin is not greater than God's grace. Because some of you are thinking, I, I, can't, I can't really out this to the Lord and get the recovery support that I need from whatever it is, something we named or something unnamed. Because what we like to do is when you hear a testimony like this, if none of those boxes are checked off for you, you're like, I'm off the hook. No. Because the sin may differ, but I know that the hold that it has on the way you think about yourself and the Lord and others is the same. 
and there is guilt in there, and there is shame in there, and being a Christian will be miserable until you can lay it down. Because you're trying to add something to Christianity that's not supposed to be there, and that's ongoing shame over unpaid for punishment for your sin that you're supposed to be enduring. That's not part of the benefits package. Praise his name. So my encouragement today is to whatever it is, lay it down. Lay it down. Well, pastor, I'm already saved. Good. Lay it down, not your salvation. Whatever that thing is in your heart that's causing you to be miserable as a believer, lay it down. Lay it down. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Well, what do you mean that God is just to forgive me? It means that the right thing for him to do is to forgive you when you confess it because it's already been paid for. And it would be unjust for you to punish you twice for one sin. Your punishment's been handed out already. He agrees you should be punished. He just put it on his son. So who are you to think that you need to doubt God's faithfulness and forgiving you by thinking you deserve more punishment than he says? It's already been handed out. He's just because he didn't sweep it under the rug. He's just because he did pay out for the guilty verdict. Jesus just stepped up and took the sentence. And what you have to do if you want to be part of it, you have to take the grace. You have to receive it. But I don't deserve it. No kidding. You're going to have to get over the getting what you don't deserve stuff with Jesus pretty quick. He's going to want to share a lot of things with you. And I, This is not a meritocracy. This is grace. He's going to give you what you don't deserve. Okay. I also encourage you I'm going to lead you in a prayer of confession in just a moment. I encourage you to take a next step of share it with somebody. Oh, pastor, not that one. You don't have to listen to me, and you can stay stuck where you are. That was a little too blunt. Um, it's the truth. I've lived it. There'll be a measure, but the moment that that sin gets a foothold again, you're going to be right back in the shame-guilt cycle. Share it with somebody. Ask God, pray with, Lord, who's the wise person for me to share this with? Because that will begin the healing process in your heart. There's a word for that. It's called normal. It's normal to be hesitant to do that. But that's why Christian community is so important. That's why we make it a safe place for people to model that for you, like what you saw today, what you experienced today. I don't want you to be stuck there. I want you to enjoy the freedom of following Jesus. So as our worship team comes, You can bring some Bolton. <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> yeah, there's a few of his songs that wouldn't fit. Yeah, but... You can't... Yeah, listen, only Michael Bolton can sing Michael Bolton songs, right? Oh, how do we extract the gospel from Bolton? Thank you, Lord, for levity. But at the same time, I want, I want you to find freedom today. So would you just bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to give two possible responses today. First and centrally, I want to give an opportunity for, for you to begin a saving relationship to Jesus, like what Zach described he experienced in that high school gymnasium, like what Megan described that experience when she was in her early teens. That's where this begins. You want to begin a relationship with Jesus, here's what's required. Belief and repentance. That's what the Bible teaches what do I have to believe? Do I need to go to a class? No, 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 no. You have to believe that you 
need to be saved, that Jesus can save you, and that he will save you if you ask him. That's it. You have to come to a point where you say, well, listen, I know I need to be saved. I need a savior. I don't need a genie, like Megan talked about today. She's like, at first, she wanted to be saved because she thought that if she committed her life to Jesus, he'd give her what she really wanted in the form of her dad being healed. So that wasn't so much that she was looking for a savior. She was looking for someone to give her what she really wanted, and she'd even try Jesus if that was the case. She was more or less looking for a genie. And when Jesus didn't deliver what she really thought she needed, she felt worse off than she was before. When you come to a place where you realize what I really need more than wealth, more than a new job, more than romance, more than healing, what I really need is Christ then he is enough. And so you just have to believe you need to be saved. You have to believe Jesus can save you, that his perfect life, his death on the cross, taking your punishment, being your substitute and my substitute, and then his resurrection from the dead, and his promise that he was just the first but not the last who will defeat sin and death and that all who put their faith in him and follow him will experience the same transformation in their life. If you really believe that... And you know he's able. And then the question is, is he willing? Do you believe that you're not the one exception who would cry out to him to be saved and he'll say, no, thank you? Do you believe that he'll hear you when you pray? That you need, so that you believe he can save you, he will save you, and you need to be saved? And then the other thing is you just have to be willing to repent. Repent means to turn from. Are you willing to turn from living life your way and follow him and live his way? If that's the desire of your heart, The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, all you need to do is confess that to God right now. You don't need me to do it for you. In fact, I can't do it for you. You have to come to him on your own, exactly as you are. The only way you can come to Jesus is as you are. You can't come as you're not. Come as you are. And confess that to him right now. He will hear you. He will save you. Go ahead. You can do that right now. If you need some help or a little guidance, and what, what exactly do I say? Here's an example. Jesus, I have sinned against you, and I'm sorry, and I need to be forgiven. I believe you exist and that you're everything the Bible tells me you are. I believe that you lived a sinless life and that you volunteered to be the substitute for me, that the guilty punishment, the verdict that I deserve, you stepped up and you took that on you and you willingly laid down your life and you died, but you didn't stay dead. Through the power of your father, you came back to life in a new body and you defeated the power of sin, and you defeated the power of death in one action. I have faith to believe in that. And so today I receive salvation. I receive forgiveness. I accept your grace and your mercy, and I welcome you through your spirit to come live in my life and start the process of helping me to think and be more like you, Jesus. I turn away from living by what feels right to me, and I surrender to living the right life that you've called me to.
Thank you for saving me. Amen. With every eye still closed, if you prayed that prayer with me, you are saved. You don't have to do another thing. I just want to encourage you to take us just a step this morning of faith. I'm going to count to three. If you prayed that prayer with me, slip up your hand. You can make eye contact with me. You can put your hand right back down. Just want to celebrate this moment with you. Who prayed with me today? One, two, three. Awesome, buddy. I got you. Thank you, pal. I got you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Gotcha. Thank you, sir. Who else? Wait just a moment. That's awesome. Anyone else this morning? Praise his name. Second question for all of us. Is there something in your heart that's been cycling through guilt and shame that you're ready to just lay it down today? Can I encourage you right where you sit right now? If you haven't done so already, confess that to the Lord. Don't be too proud to do it. Today is freedom for you. Freedom for you. Lord, examine our hearts. You know what's in there. Lord, we want to be free from the guilt and the shame of knowing that we're doing wrong and we get stuck in those cycles. We want to lay down this process of punishing ourselves. We don't want to live with such discomfort in our life because of this fear we have of exposing what's really in our heart and the consequences or the perceptions and the stigmas that we know that there's nothing guaranteed with that other than we, we just want to be free. We want to live in freedom. We don't want to have these secrets control our lives. And so we bend our knee to you today. Lord, forgive us and give us the courage to walk forward by inviting not only your forgiveness, but your healing into our lives so that we can live in true freedom through your son. And with every head bowed and every eye closed again, just as, a, just as a way for you to step out of this, if you've laid something down to Christ today, if there's a sin in your heart or sins in your heart that have been held in the secret recesses and you've laid them to the Lord's feet maybe again today, and you're ready to walk in freedom. I'm going to count to three. I just want you to lift a hand and make eye contact with me. You can put it right back down. But I want you to break that bondage this morning. So who's laying something down this morning? Who's experiencing forgiveness and is ready to walk in a shameless life before Jesus? One, thank you. Hands already up. Thank you. One, two, three. Who else? Thank you. I got you. Thank you over here. Goodness. Yes. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Got you. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. Receive his grace today. Receive his grace. God is not disappointed in you at all. Just let that shame break off of you. Um, you can lift your head. You can open your eyes. Megan, I debated whether or not to share this. I just want to affirm you with this. I remember a time, and now hearing your story, I can kind of triangulate where it was. I won't be more specific. But after we were in the high school, after church on a Sunday, um, the boys wanted McDonald's, and I gave in. And so I went through the McDonald's drive-thru, and I saw you. I don't know if you remember that. It must have been at one of your low points. I saw you walk out of the door. And I did, I, before I thought twice, I rolled down my window and I called out to you. I remember looking at your eyes and I will never forget it. You saw me, you recognized me, and I saw two things at once. You wanted to come over and say hi, and I saw you feel shame because I saw you at one of your low points. And I, I thought, oh, she doesn't look well. And my heart broke because at the same time I saw you almost embarrassed that the pastor saw you there. And, the, and my heart just broke over that whole situation. And looking at you today, how God has just peeled all that shame off of you and how he's making you like that is like, I just want to give you hope. 
I just want to give you hope. God's not looking to lecture you. He wants you to run in freedom. He doesn't want you to stay stuck there. He doesn't want you to be embarrassed about yourself. Or like you said, I can't look at my mirror and see Jesus. He, Jesus is seen through the broken cracks in our lives where our humanity might not be perfect, sees through there. And it was just oh, like just how good God is to see how gentle and gracious he's been with you, Megan. And like, I remember that moment. I just remember how my heart broke. Like, oh Lord, I didn't want to be such, I didn't want to be a source of pain or embarrassment for, for anybody. Um, but man, comparing, comparing where you must have been in that moment and now hearing maybe where you were in that season of your life and seeing what God's doing in your life today. I'm just so thankful. You know, and Megan, he doesn't expect, you know this, he doesn't expect perfection from you. We can't earn it. We can't earn it. We just thank God for his grace. So I hope it's been a good morning for you. It's been, a, how about for you? Yeah, good morning for you. And I told, I told Zach and Megan in the first service, I don't want you to think that this church thinks less of you for having, I think more of them and a whole lot more of Jesus for having heard their story. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's end our time together. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me this morning? Our welcome team is coming. The Bolton and the Boltonites are here today oh to lead us into I can't share it after this week. No one will get it. But, but uh, we're going to spend just a few more moments. We're going to sing one more song to the Lord together. Our prayer team is coming right now. Um, maybe there's just something in your heart you'd, you'd want to share with somebody. It could be a need that you already knew coming in here with, or maybe just something God put on your heart today and you'd just like some prayer. Mr. West is over here on my right, and Tia is over here. Suba is over here. As we begin to sing, if you'd like prayer, please just come down, find any one of them. Just say, here's what you can pray with me about. We're going to pray with you. We want to give you an opportunity to give this morning, and so our welcome team will We'll uh, give you an opportunity to just pass the, the baskets up and down the aisle if you would like to give. Today we invite you to do that. We'll sing this song together. We're going to pray. We're going to give. And then Pastor James will come and, and dismiss us. Let's go to the Lord one more time. Father, you have outgiven us. You've outgiven us. And so giving for us is a response. It's not an initiative that we take. It's not like we start the giving cycle between us and you and now you're obligated to us. Lord, because you loved, you already gave. Before we even knew that you were a giver, you gave. And so today our giving is simply one of many responses that we offer you in forms of worship in our life. We give out of obedience. And many times we give above and beyond what obedience requires and we give out of generosity for you and your kingdom and your work. Lord, we, we thank you. We love you. Lord, thank you for trusting this church with Zach and with Megan. We are the beneficiaries of that relationship. I pray you overwhelm both of them with your pleasure, with your favor, with your mercy for how they have given of their lives to make spiritual deposits in our lives today. Lord, may you surprise them and overwhelm them with your goodness today. In your name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.